I'm Cheryl Broom, CEO of Graduate Communications. The Higher Education Coffee and Conversation podcast is dedicated to exploring issues of importance to staff and faculty who work at community colleges and universities. Community colleges serve so many different purposes. To some, they're a stepping stone to a four-year degree. To others, they are a place to learn English or get ready for the citizenship exam. Some people attend their local community college to earn college units, while others attend to earn an adult high school diploma or prepare for the equivalent exam. Everyone knows that community colleges offer associate degrees and are a gateway to transfer to a four-year institution. We talk a lot about credit students and credit courses, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of adults in the United States who rely on community colleges, non-credit or adult education programs. Programs like citizenship classes, adult high school diploma courses, short-term certificates, classes for adults with disabilities, and English as a second language courses. But for some reason, we don't talk a lot about those. In fact, most colleges I have worked with have neglected marketing these programs. Here in California, legislation even makes it difficult for non-credit programs to hire full-time tenure-track faculty. I think it's about time that non-credit has its day in the sun, and that's exactly what my podcast guest has done at her institution. In this episode of Higher Ed Coffee and Conversation, Chrissy Gascon, the Interim Dean of Instruction and Student Services at Santiago Canyon College Division of Continuing Education, launched a large marketing campaign that over the course of the last year has grown her program substantially. She talks about why the non-credit department is often overlooked, what investing in marketing has done for her programs and for her students, and how non-credit students have coped with the challenges brought by the COVID-19 pandemic. I am really happy to have you on the podcast, and I just wanted to start off by having you introduce yourself and tell me about, about you and your career and how you got started with community colleges. My name is Chrissy Gascon, and currently I'm the Executive Director of the California Adult Education Program and an Administrator at Santiago Canyon College. Uh, starting next week, I will be the Interim Dean of uh, Student Services uh, and Instruction. And I got started as an instructor, actually. I have always been in non-credit, and I started back in about 19, hmm, 1997 um, as an ESL instructor. So I taught English as a second language for over 20 years. And then uh, when the um, AB 86 and AB 104 legislation started coming out, I moved into uh, writing those proposals and moved into overseeing that and then into administration. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about that legislation, uh, what it did for non-credit programs, and now what you do as a result of it? Sure. Actually, it, it did a lot. Um, prior to AB 86, which was the first legislation, it had been that we really didn't talk to our K-12 adult ed counterparts very much. Community colleges and the K-12s were separate in their adult education. And what it really wanted is for us to work together and make sure that we were allowing students to have the opportunity to move between programs, advance what their um, goals were, have seamless transitions, not only between our programs, but then also into credit programs or into the 
workforce. And it gave us some pretty straightforward goals of taking non-credit and adult education to the next level and really bringing our students into our credit side of the college or into the workplace. And not just into the workplace, but into the workplace with skills that would get them, um, you know, a very good income, you know, an income that would be able to sustain them, sustain a family, things like that. So really, we were only able to work on certain areas um, of non-credit. There are 10 or there are 10 different programs. Some we call non-credit, others we call CDCP. The CDCP side of the house is um, career uh, development and college preparation. And those are the classes that this legislation focused on, which are short-term vocational, ESL, and citizenship, so the immigration part of it, and elementary and secondary education. And then they also added a few other things like uh, helping um, parents that or guardians that help students, uh, younger K-12 students succeed in school. So those were our areas of focus. And over the last five to six years, the state as a whole has really been building on these huge collaborations. In our district, we work with three other uh, K-12s, two of which have um, adult education programs. And the things that have come out of it are great. Uh, we do um, classes on each other's campuses. We mix what we're doing and um, we open classes for students when one campus is closed. It, it's really been a great collaboration. And that's something that's really special and unique with non-credit is that you are able to offer courses actually in the community. We do. M most of our classes are in the community. Um, when I taught for 20 years, I never taught on a college campus. I always taught out in the community. And usually at one of our K-12 schools that offered up classrooms for our use. And I, I, we did a focus group uh, with some of your students. It's been, uh, it's been a while, maybe almost two years ago, or maybe last year. I don't know. This seems like a really long year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember we asked the students how they heard about programs. They were ESL students. And, a, and one of them actually heard about it um, on her elementary school campus. I think that there was a program being held there and they had a booth and I remember thinking how fantastic that, you know, you can bring your children to school and then take a, a course on that campus to learn English. Yeah, uh, my students lined up with the elementary student school um, children in the morning, and my classes were actually during the day on the elementary school campus. They wore, you know, parent-student type name tags to identify themselves, and um yeah, I was in between two first grade classes and it was really great. Um, they would leave my class and almost all of them served on their school's PTA and student psych council. And it really brought this educational level uh, to the parents that they didn't have before. And the principal at the school loved it, as did all of the parents that, that needed that opportunity. And just having their kids see them in school was also a great great experience for their their young children in elementary school. I know that over the, as I was working in the community college system, that your type of programs, non-credit adult education programs, didn't get a lot of attention in terms of marketing or outreach dollars. And I know that's changing now, particularly in California, because a lot of the non-credit programs are starting to invest in marketing. 
but but why do you think that is? It seems like some of these programs have been like our best kept secrets. Yeah, you know, and I've been in non-credit for, you know, close to 25 years and it's a hard one for me to even answer because I see all the good we do, but I think because they don't go towards those state standards of the metrics of passing your, uh, getting your AA degree or getting um, a credit certificate that sometimes people overlook them. And quite honestly, a lot of times in our credit divisions, people do not know about us. So it's not just outside people, it's also people within the college system and not all community colleges have a non-credit system. Um, you know, they're really starting now to expand in many, many, many of the community colleges, but we've had ours for 40 years more. So, and we don't have a big K-12 adult education school that's serving our area. So it's a little bit different, you know, usually in a, or I should say in many areas, like in Los Angeles, the bulk of adult education is carried by K-12s. In Orange County, it's split 50-50. Um, community colleges really, um, between uh, Rancho Santiago Community College District, North Orange Community College District, we serve over 60, 70,000 students uh, between the two of us. So it's, um, it, it's very, very big, but yet we're still not, not known. And I think part of it is what we do, the high school diploma, the ESL, uh, the citizenship. They didn't, I don't think, see us as an opportunity before or as our students as, were part of their students. They don't see them as much on campus. But with the passage of some further um, legislation with AB 705 and the chancellor's new um, guided pathways, credit um, sides of the house are really opening their doors to see that we are the start of a pathway and our students are not only coming to the credit side but they're being very successful yeah and that's you know something that i had always thought about when i was at miracosta was how do we turn these non-credit students into credit students but then not going back further and saying how how does the community find out about these fantastic programs i, I can understand that i mean when i was an esl teacher our whole outreach program was flyers in the backpack and posters or you know signs at local elementary schools and, you know, paper, really paper flyers at, you know, different offices and community um, centers in, within our community. And that was the brunt of it. Most of our, most of our advertising really came from mouth to mouth, uh, people going and telling a friend. And we would send home a mailer three times a year with our classes. And that was all we ever did until just a few years ago, or, you know, when we decided to look into should we market like the credit side markets? And we've, I mean, obviously we've partnered up. So I have some questions about how that's, how that's gone. But before we get there, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the type of programs that you offered, because as I worked with you in particular, I learned so much about non-credit and adult education. So even though I've been working in the system for, you know, 15 years, there was so much I didn't know about the programs you offered. So I think that our listeners will, um, can learn a lot from, from you and your experience. Like for example, I knew that we offer high school diploma programs and also preparation for uh, tests like the GED. 
But I had no idea that people can take their GED in other languages besides English. And I thought, what a missed opportunity because there's so many people out there who'd probably want to take their GED in Spanish, but aren't aware that they can prepare for that in Spanish and sit and take the test in that language. Yeah, it's it has always been available as far as I know. And it's there are three different testing services. We actually use HiSET more than we use the GED at our community college because they offer a paper pencil uh, version and we teach in the jails and we can't do the online version of the GED in the jails uh, just because of that internet um, connection. But yes, it's Spanish, English, French. It doesn't notate it on their equivalency certificate. It just states that they have passed their high school equivalency. So we do have quite a few students. We've also now recently become a high set testing center. And I would say it's about 50-50 of not just our students, but people in the community that come in and take the test. It's about a 50-50% split of who, take, who takes the test in English and who takes the test in Spanish. Yeah, and you had explained to me that the tests aren't measuring your language proficiency. They're, they're actually measuring if you can pass high school, it doesn't matter the language. Because we would take a, a high school diploma from a foreign country and still count that. So it's not really the language. So if it's the English section, they would be taking that in French or Spanish. And it would be their knowledge of language, their language, the reading, the writing skills within their own language. And then most adult education programs do offer some sort of preparation for these tests. Yes. And I shouldn't say most community colleges, it's a little bit, I think, more rare to see the high school diploma program in the community college setting. It's much, much more common at the K-12 adult educations. We happen to have a large high school diploma program, but that's something that might even surprise uh, people in adult education. I know when I came into it and started working with directors um, from other CAPE consortia, they were very surprised to hear that we had a high school program at our community college. They really felt that was for K-12, but we graduate probably between our two colleges um, in our district, about 250 high school um, graduates a year. And then more when you add in the, the high school equivalency. That's so, that's so amazing. And it's such a great opportunity for people in the community to come back and to get a diploma. And when we did that focus group a couple years ago, I remember your student Maria who came and took ESL classes and then ended up going into the high school diploma program. And then from there was taking credit classes. Yeah, that happens a lot. I remember when I was teaching, I taught the very lowest level of ESL and it was great. Three years after I taught a student, I ran into her on campus and she was about to get her high school diploma. And I, I just couldn't believe the transformation in the student. And it gives people so much opportunity from not speaking the language to not only speaking the language, but having a high school diploma. It, it was just great to see. And we see that a lot. And I think it's what most people that are in adult education love about our jobs is the transition that our students are able to go through. Yeah. I mean, your programs are really like touching people's lives and changing and changing them and their families. Yes. 
Now you also offer programs for adults with disabilities. And that is actually something that came out of the Adult Education Consortium. When AB 86 first came out, it really asked us to look deep and to look at where our gaps were. And our district was not serving adults with disabilities. We really didn't have any classes for adults with disabilities. And we decided that we wanted to make that one of our main goals and to um, build a program to serve that need. Um, and our program is really to assist with adults with cognitive uh, disabilities to be able to enter the workforce. So we have different classes like applying writing skills on the job, applying math skills on the job, you know, social etiquette on the job, things like that. Um, we've also partnered with some different companies and nonprofits. So we have programs where our students actually go and they part of their program is working. And the end goal really is to get our students competitive integrated employment and be able to go out in the workforce. But what we've also noticed is some of our students have gone on to get their high school diploma. They might not have been on the diploma track in high school, but we've had um, some decide to go in and get their high school diploma. Some have transferred into the credit side and um, some have transferred into our career education programs. So it's, it's been really great. It's a smaller program that is just building year by year. And it's such a heartwarming program too. It's just amazing to see, again, the transformation that the instructors and the classroom environment has on people lifting them up and giving them, you know, skills and opportunities that they might not have found otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree. These are the great stories that I know that we love to tell for you and that I'm hoping that people who listen to the podcast will start thinking, what kind of stories are in our college's non-credit program that we need to be telling and we need to be sharing with the community? Because those stories are so important and showcasing the great work you do and letting people know uh, what's available to them. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think um, when you look at the individuals and some of their stories, that's what really sells people on what we do. And it really um, gets to the heart of the matter of what we do. I think of some of the collaborations we have with, we work with, uh, for example, with adults with disabilities, we work with Chalk Hospital, we work with the Regional Center of Orange County, Department of Rehabilitation, Goodwill, and we work with all of these people and all of them touch the student in some way to be able to assist them in getting their goal set. And it is so great when you see how each person can come in and assist, but yet you're a solid team assisting the student. Those yeah. types of things are, are awesome. Your career education programs are really unique too. And I was wondering if, if non-credit and adult ed programs have more leeway with how you offer certif certificates and certifications than the credit side does. For us, our big uh, underlying factor is we have to be short-term vocational. So we're really looking at programs that are maybe 12 to 18 months and usually 12 months. That's the type of program we're looking at. There are some programs out there that are really needed that are very, very short, like three months. And it's a little bit harder for a credit side of the college to offer this. So for example, I have um, a program that we started this last year. It's a behavior technician program. In order to get this 
state certification. It's an industry certification, which you have to have to work uh, with certain um, companies. It's 40 hours of coursework and 15 hours of field work. So for a total of 55 hours, that's not, you know, it's, it's a very short certificate for, let's say, a college credit program. But it's perfect for a program like ours. We're able to offer that for free. The student can sit for their certification and go right into work. And that's, that's a certification that came to us from industry. They came to us and asked us if we could make it for them because they were doing the training and it was costing them too much. So things like that really work in non-credit. Another one uh, is certified nurse assistant. It is four-month program for us. You can do it in less, but because of the amount of hours our teachers are um, qualified to teach in our part-time um, arena, and most of our teachers are part-time, it takes about four months to get through our program, but again, it's free. And when they um, end their lesson, or uh, you know, their, not their lessons, but their whole program, they are able to sit for the state license, which not only helps them get a job as a CNA, but also can help them get into an RN program and have that furthering of their education. It puts them up higher in most places on the wait list to get into an RN program. We have a lot of things that we can uh, articulate and work with the credit side from our program to theirs. And these students are ready. They've had the skill set, they've learned it, they know they want it, and they're ready to complete those AA degrees. We've been, um, we're, you know, we're recording this right now. It's June and we're right in the middle of COVID. And one of the trends that we've been seeing in education are students are actively looking for short-term certificates. They want certifications. They want stackable certificates where they can complete a program, uh, get, you know, some validation, some, some sort of certification and put that on their resume and then move on to the next thing. So there's this need for short-term certificates, even more so than long-term AA degrees or transfer, transfer degrees. I think there's such a great opportunity for colleges to invest in these short-term certifications right now, or to look and see what you currently have, because I can't tell you how many colleges I've talked to that, that aren't even aware of what short-term certificates they have in their non-credit office. And that's true. But I have to say, we've, at least at our, on our campuses, with guided pathways, and I know I've said that a lot, maybe, or 8705 and these other legislation, it's really opened up the door and um, for us and credit to have really great dialogue and for them to know more about us. And I think that with the credit side learning more, this is the first year I've ever had credit faculty say, can we have a meeting? And we'll drive to you because I'm off campus. Um, and they, they wanted to see where we were, what we were doing. And it was great to have that. I've always driven to the credit side or tried to initiate the meetings and not anymore. People are really interested. They have students in the health department, you know, that want CNAs while they're getting their AA degree. And they're like, could we work something out? And it was such a great conversation. And that is going to open doors for more students to get something in the meanwhile, while they're getting their AA degree, and they can work and, and further their degree. 
Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's so important to have that option because not everybody can commit to a two-year program full-time. As we know, at most colleges, students aren't graduating in two years. It can take four years. It can take six years. It's a big investment in time and resources. And that non-credit short-term certificate uh, is tuition-free and takes, you know, like you said, 12 months on average. So it's such a great opportunity for people, especially I would assume like working parents who want to learn a new skill or start a new career, but don't have the time and resources to invest in a full degree program. And another thing we offer is the repeatability. It's something that I don't think a lot of people think of a lot, but sometimes it's very difficult for a student that has not been in school possibly ever or for a very long time. Someone that's coming back that maybe is trying to learn a new trade um, and just going to school is difficult and they might not be successful that first class. That ability to be like, this is non-credit, I can take it again or I can take as much time as I need. It, it gives them a little bit more, you know, as much as we would like them to finish in a timely manner and, and go on, it's not for everyone and they have that ability if they get a job and they can't come, they can you know, pick a class in another hour and, and move into that class. There's a lot of flexibility within non-credit to allow them to do what they need to do in their lives as well. So they're not gonna get like a big red mark on their transcript? No. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine too. Like I think about myself going back to school right now. It's a big undertaking. It really is. Uh, I can't. And so that flexibility and having it be a little bit more open, um, I'm sure would be very appealing to, especially to working adults. I think so. And being able to come in the evening, come in in the mornings. And now uh, we do a lot online. And how has that transition been uh, for you and your programs, particularly with the student population you serve? The move to online over the last couple of months because of COVID, how have you coped with that? It's been difficult. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It was, you know, and I think most people in the community colleges will feel the same way. We, most of us had three days, four days to transition everything to online or a remote instruction. Um, one of the things that we had done this past year was we had made it a focus of our non-credit to start online. Online is new to coming to non-credit. Not a lot of colleges had started online. There's about three or four big ones that had been doing it. And so we were lucky. We had 20 of our career ed classes already online during the spring semester. So we didn't have to transition them. And a lot of the teachers and students were a little bit more familiar. Uh, it was harder in our ESL and high school programs, but because we'd already had a jump in a lot of faculty and students that, that take classes within other disciplines, um, it helped us a little bit, I think. And now we lost students in the beginning. I would say 50% um, dropped that first week, 50 to 60%. But then slowly we started um, gaining students towards the semester's end. And uh, we ended up a little bit below, but not nearly what we thought we would, where we would be at. Um, in our summer, I think my numbers are the same or more uh, than last summer for, at least for my division or my department. 
but it's still students are missing being on campus and one of the biggest problems I would say with it is not everybody has access to computers, Wi-Fi, a quiet area. You know, we serve a homeless population. There is no library for them to go into or classroom for them to go into. We serve parents who are homeschooling their children. They don't have access to the computer because their children are on the computer. So it, they have other um, needs that maybe not all students would have. Our population is, you know, they are mostly working and raising families and they have so much more responsibility. And with everybody being home, it's, um, I think it's much more difficult for them in their studies. Definitely. I mean, I have two kids and a full-time job. I could not imagine putting a course or trying to learn another language on top of that. But you are having people do it and they're being successful despite those challenges. They are. And, you know, I can't tell you, we had, we had people graduating um, all through um, March, April, May, and uh, finishing their high school diplomas. And every time one came up, we were like, yes, because <laughs> what perseverance to do this during our, you know, COVID-19 stay at home you know, all the new guidelines, and they were still doing it. And it's a lot of power to them. And I have to say a lot of power to the faculty. They have worked so hard to make these classes accessible, hours and hours and hours of their own personal time, I would say, because that's how much they care, to make sure that the students had access and, you know, were able to get books and were able to get um, computers so we have started a computer um, lending program and a book lending program. So anything we can do, we're, we're trying to do to, to help the students during this time. Yeah, and I think it is a real testament to the faculty as well in that you mentioned that most of them are part-time. I would say, uh, at least within our district, in non-credit, uh, we have about... I would say 96% are adjunct part-time faculty and two to 3%, maybe, maybe up to 5% full-time, but that would, that would really be <laughs> a lot. Um, and it, it really comes down to the rules of the chancellor's office. And we do not count for the full-time obligation number of faculty, the 75, 25% split. So it's very difficult for us to be able to hire full-time, especially when uh, our credit has to hit that obligation number. So it's, it's always been difficult. Um, many part-time non-credit teachers teach at multiple colleges and districts just so that they can have an equivalency of a full-time job. I know I did it for uh, 20 years, um, but uh, it's just right now until things change, we just don't have it's, it's just not equal on the credit, non-credit when it comes to full-time faculty. Well, Chrissy, I see an opportunity in the future for new legislation. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Our faculty would love it. Yeah. Um, what's particularly interesting is that there is a sense of an inequality in, in that example between credit and non-credit programs. 
but the college actually gets a lot of revenue from your program. So even though you're not charging a tuition fee, um, you are getting dollars from the state for educating students. And in many ways, that's helping to support your district's credit programs. Yes, we do. You know, now with the new student-centered funding formula and with us being not on that, we actually are full attendance-based. So our um, FTS is our, we get 100% of that. So depending on what type of courses, we are paid at the credit level for those full-time student equivalent um, hours. And it's at 100% of whatever they are doing. So it is quite, you know, significant. Yeah. And I I think this is a perfect segue into talking about your marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. I was actually just on a call a couple weeks ago with a a college in Los Angeles, and we were talking about shifting their marketing uh, because of COVID. They had seen a decline in uh, credit uh, applications. And I had asked what they were doing to market their non-credit programs and they weren't doing anything. I mentioned that they, they get paid the same for a non-credit uh, student as a, as a credit. And um, the whole marketing department was shocked. They had no idea. They, they thought they weren't getting any funds from the non-credit side. So they hadn't invested any, any thought into how to market those classes. So I think that's an important thing for, for for communicators and for marketers to know in California, and it might be different in other states, that you are getting revenue from your non-credit programs. So when you're looking at a return on investment, these are the perfect programs to be marketing. Oh yeah, and especially the one thing you have to know is even if they are a non-credit class, which we differentiate between the 10 program areas in non-credit, so older adults, health and safety, parenting, Um, students with substantial disabilities, uh, citizenship courses, those types of classes are paid at a non-credit rate. It's not quite half, but uh, about 60% of what we have as the CDCP rate. And the CDCP rate would be the classes like high school, elementary, and secondary education, uh, ESL, workforce preparation, uh, short-term vocational, those courses are all paid at the same rate of FTS as credit. And that is the bulk of what we teach, at least within our district, are in those CDCP courses. So it, it does bring in a lot of revenue and it's equal revenue. Yeah, and that's great. And those, those courses are the ones I think people are searching out right now, those short-term vocational, English as a second language, high school diploma, and it's a perfect thing to be to be marketing to your community. Your marketing campaign has has been tremendous. You've done a lot of work, and I know you spoke at a conference about all the work and the surprises with your marketing campaign, and the challenges and the successes. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. So explain how you came about, how you got passionate about marketing your programs, and the pathway that you took. Well, being over our career ed department, I'm also very involved with Strong Workforce um, and the Strong Workforce program in Orange County. A few years ago, they started a big marketing campaign, and it was the first time I'd really seen our community colleges, even on the credit side, marketed in that way uh, for our district. And it was so great to be able to see things on billboards or hear things on radio, um, see things show up in my... Facebook or Instagram. 
And I'm like, hey, that's my college. Uh, and I thought, why not non-credit? And I actually started by trying to do it with Strong Workforce, but we were not in their uh, plan to include non-credit. So I'm like, okay, we can use our own funding from CAPE and see how that goes. And I think it, it, it was a very, very good idea. Um, I know I contacted you and we started working out a plan, but it was a lot of work. I didn't realize because we weren't set up for that. You know, making sure our, our, we were ready to accept social media and people could contact us via our website and making sure our website was prepared and that we were prepared. And uh, it, it took a lot more planning and um, setting up than I would have ever imagined. But what we noticed going through this is we looked at everything through the eyes of our students. Were we website friendly? We were not. And the marketing campaign has really helped us become better at looking at things through the student's eyes. Is this easy for them to navigate? And that's such important work that you did in the beginning. I know we recommended, for example, having landing pages. And some of our clients don't take that recommendation. So they just say, no, get the advertisements out. And then we point students to these websites that are impossible to navigate or we're advertising in Spanish, but we're pointing them to an English page. But you actually took the time to revise, write content, and make your your web pages student centered. Yeah, we did, and we were a a little bit different as well as because we did it as a consortium. Um, we included everyone, so we did this with our K twelves, um, our sister college. Uh, we did it together, and so our landing page we had to be very you know trustful of one of other uh, one another because we decided to make the landing page you know to ESL but the ESL had different options. They could go to a community college or they could go to a K-12. What was in their area? What was best for the student? And I think by doing it that way, it, it, it helped everyone because there are a lot of students in our area that don't know. They're going to want to go to the place that's closest to them, closest to their work. Um, and to be able to have those options and have maps available and to be able to find the right program for them, I think it was a, a wise decision. And then each of us working on our own pages to make that next click over also accessible. Yeah, a lot of work. I know that I've heard you say a couple of times over the last couple of years, I didn't expect it to be this much work. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. <laughs> I, <didn't. laughs> I, I remember we, we had our meeting, I think in March or April. I want to say it was 2018, um, expecting to get started in July. And it was like July of 2019. Yeah. Um, it, it took us that long. And that is the one recommendation I will give anyone is to go in this with open eyes because I am not a marketer. I, that's not my business background. I, I don't have it. I just thought I would pay you money and poof, it would all be perfect. But no, you have to be prepared to work equally with the people you're hiring to make sure it's going to work. And 
that's what I wasn't prepared for, but I would do it all over again because that growth helped us grow as we're looking at ways of how we do our applications differently, how we have our landing pages on our websites differently. All of these things came out of us seeing it through the student's eyes from a marketing perspective. Yeah. And you take that holistic approach. Not only are you recruiting better, but you're serving students better as well. Yes, definitely. I think marketing for non-credit is in many ways more challenging than credit marketing because it's particularly for you as a consortium on the credit side, everybody knows what a college is. Everybody knows what a community college does. And so you can talk about the college and talk about it in these broad strokes. And people understand you go to a community college to get an associate degree or certificate. It, nobody knows what a non-credit consortium is and, and people in the community don't know what non-credit education is. And your program diversity is so, I mean, it's so why you're serving people with disabilities and people who don't speak English and working adults. So we really encouraged you to market your individual programs rather than painting such a broad brush on who you are as an organization. How do you think that has gone? I, I think it's gone well. I, I think that, you know, going forward, I think also, I think to start, we had to do it in a broad brush because that's who we are. But in doing that, we kind of have seen what's working, what's not working, what works for certain areas. Because, you know, we did do a wide array of marketing between our peach jar, our emails, our YouTube and Facebook, geofencing. We did a, a large amount of different types of marketing. And I do think some work for some areas better than others. And I think as we go on, there might be certain programs that we want to pinpoint and just market those at a time. I know um, we picked up and, and did an online uh, marketing campaign with you separate from the one that we we're doing. And I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to know because there's so many things going on with COVID and things shifting to online, but our online numbers have drastically increased. But it, it's always going to be a combination factor, but I think it helps that we're out there and we're advertising it. Yeah, that's always the million dollar question. Did this marketing actually lead to enrollments? And I think I'd be making twice my salary if I could answer that. Maybe 10 times. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I can say is, you know, at least within my department, I had growth this past year and that's a lot to be said when um, we went through COVID-19. I think I ended at 110% trying to hit 100%. And that was of my 17-18 year. That was my baseline because we haven't been able to hit that uh, for a while. So not only did I have growth, but it, it was pretty, it was pretty you know, substantial for my program. Uh, other programs within our division of non-credit also had growth. And I, I do think that the marketing helped. And I think that you know, the things that we did because of it also helped. The changing of the way that we are doing things, making new programs, making new curriculum, updating, uh, making things more accessible. All of those things combined, I think, are always going to help programs. Definitely. And, you know, people need, 
especially now during COVID, they need to hear about the programs um, digitally because that word of mouth that's so important on the non-credit side isn't going to be as readily available with parents not going to elementary schools and people not socializing. That is going to decrease. It's going to go away a little bit. So making sure you have that online presence and that you're doing the type of tactics you talked about, YouTube and social media um, is really important. And email, our emails do tremendous. So I think, you know, it it definitely doesn't hurt. Of course it helps. And I think it's even more important in today's environment. Yeah. And I know I I haven't looked at, I just got a new uh, monthly synopsis of what our marketing did last month, but I was really surprised when we got our first YouTube uh, video back from this last campaign for the ESL that in its first month had 92,000 views or something. That was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot more than I was expecting. And ESL is one of the areas that surprised me the most. We weren't sure how well a media campaign would do because we were thinking our students didn't have a lot of, you know, computers at home or, or things to access it. And they're probably, I believe, the group that has accessed it the most and, you know, clicked more and everything. It's, it's higher within ESL. And that was something that came back that surprised us. And I, that's one of the things I liked about the marketing was we learned things that we absolutely did not know or things that we thought were correct. We learned that, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't accurate. And um, to be able to get those type of information, that type of information really helps in planning for, for future, you know, classes for future, you know, online endeavors, all of those types of things. One of the things was how many students were accessing our ads from a desktop computer. We thought almost everyone would be accessing them from phones, but our highest margin was desktop computers. That surprised all of us. Yeah, that is very surprising. Actually, I was looking at at another college's report, one of our other clients, and we saw a similar trend uh, that some of a lot of the ads were being accessed on from a desktop. I think maybe maybe that is a change because of COVID too. Is that people are home, they're on their computers for work, and now they're starting to interact with ads and social media more from a computer than a, than a phone. Plus you want them on the computer too, because they're more likely to fill out the application um, on a computer. <laughs> <than they're> on <laughs> <a phone. laughs> so any, so any other advice? I mean, we did a whole hour presentation and, and we like aired our dirty laundry, which I think people, people appreciated um, because putting on a campaign as aggressive and large as yours is, is not without its hiccups. Uh, but like you said, in the end, the results have been fantastic. So any advice you would give to other colleges who are, especially to non-credit programs who haven't marketed before, uh, what would you tell them going into this? Really the biggest thing is to be open to learning new things. Uh, we're in education. We're not really in business and marketing. And you kind of have to switch hats when you do something like this and be willing to learn and really support what you're doing. It's not something where you can just hand something over and say, market this for me. You, you have to do the legwork to make it a better campaign. You have to be willing to go over things and say, yes, that meets our students or that, yes, that portrays our students. Um, because no one like, no one knows your students like you know your students. And 
you know, a marketing firm like, like yours, they, you come up with these great phrases and put pictures together, but it might be more reflective of credit than non-credit. And you have to be able to go in and say, we need to switch this one up and, and work together and, and, and being able to do that and work so closely with you guys. I think that's what made it turn out really well, but it took a lot of work going back. I could almost say it's like a full-time job. So my big advice would be make sure you have the manpower to assist you with it. I did do this almost solo. I had people to go back and shoot things off of, but um, I think if I did it again, I, I might have like a team yeah. <laughs> to, to really help because it, it was, um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time. Yeah, or a coordinate if if a college had the funds to hire their own coordinator within would probably be a great position mm-hmm. to or start an extra college. you know outreach person that mm-hmm. took this on um, with you you know even if it was one extra person it I think that it would really help and and that two of our best people that helped me came from our outreach team at each of our colleges because I could run things by them and say, oh, we would say it like this. Or because even for me, I don't send things out like that as much. That's their, that's what their specialty is. So I think just getting that together and knowing that um, it's going to take longer than you, than you are probably thinking in your head. I thought we'd get this off and running very quickly. And it took us, you know, months and months to get it set up. And even with that, you guys said, oh, you guys went fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to tell you, there are some times that, you know, we send ads and ideas for approvals and then colleges sit on them. You know, they're not able to get back to us or approve. So it's such a good point. Like you have to be involved. We, we, we don't just run things without your input. And that input is critical. And I think we learned, our writers in particular learned so much from you and your team because they would write these creative pieces and you'd come back and say, okay, how is an ESL student gonna understand this? These play yeah. on words, you know, that's, that's and, just- I, and I think that's part of advertising is there's a lot of play on words and we're like, oh, we just need to be direct. Mm-hmm. Learn English. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get to remember it had something like drive your future. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's part of it is you have to look at where our students are at in their um, skill level, their language level, and what is it that we're hoping to gain out of the ads. And for us, it was, you know, learn a new skill, learn English. And sometimes just saying the basic of what it is, is more helpful. Yeah. And we also, you know, beyond just giving those like snapshots of a program, learn English, learn a skill. We also like for the YouTube ads showed success too. So I think that was really important part of your campaign was some of those were really Showing the faces. I, I think that it makes it real to the students that are sitting at home and wanting to do it. I think that is so key because as we talked about earlier, the stories, the amazing stories uh, from your students are so worth telling and they're so inspirational. So I think it's a great way to showcase what you do and to recruit at the same time. So if people are interested in looking at your campaign, um, we 
I'd be happy to show them if you, if you're okay, Chrissy, I know people are asking all the time to see examples of good non-credit work. Absolutely. Yes, we will showcase. And as we wrap up, I wanted, I wrote this down from the beginning of our conversation that you're starting a new position next week. I am interim Dean of Instruction and Student Services. And is that going to be at Santiago Canyon? It'll be at Santiago Canyon College and within the non-credit. So it'll be for this year. We've had a lot of shifting going on in our campus, starting at the top with a new president, new vice president, one of our vice presidents. And so there's been a lot of shifting and um, we're all kind of taking on some new roles this year, but I will still be over the California Adult Education Program, still be over the Career Technical and Adults with Disabilities Programs, and most likely still be working on the marketing. My roles haven't shifted that much, but my title has. <laughs> well, you know, we've had such a great experience working with you and the consortium, and it's exciting to see you move into a, into a different role. And hopefully you can continue to educate people about all the great things that your programs do and offer to the community. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So I think that's it. I have a million other questions for you, but we've already been talking for an hour. <laughs> so we'll wrap up. So easy for us to do. Yeah, it's very easy. I had told, I told Chrissy that of all of my guests, I think I could probably keep her on for hours and hours. And, but we never even got to the fun stories of your Swedish grandma. <laughs> So maybe we'll save that for part two. That's our teaser. That, that's a definite save. <laughs> well, thank you again. And uh, congratulations on the new uh, position. And if anybody wants to take a look at the fantastic work that Chrissy and her team has done, just reach out and uh, ask me and I'd be happy to, to send some examples over. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye, Chrissy. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for listening to Higher Education Coffee and Conversation. If you like the podcast, please leave me a five-star rating. And to discover more great higher education-related content, make sure to visit us at graduatecommunications.com. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the hard work you do for students each and every day.